Welcome to Men in Charge. I'm Tony Flynn. And I'm Kevin Decker. Welcome, welcome to our penultimate episode of our self-congratulatory 10th season, where we're almost done with this historic season. Today's episode, Gaspacho Police, Cold Silky Power. Just imagine when you <laughs> thrust your hand into a bowl of gazpacho yeah. and feel the hand of the law pull you in all the way. That's right. I guess uh, that's what Marjorie Taylor Greene meant. I, by it, right? I, I think that's what she meant, and she might also mean that at a cold soup party, people constantly inform on each other, <laughs> leading to gazpacho police showing up. Yeah, there are informants everywhere, and the gazpacho police will again pull you under right. into a vat right. of gazpacho, and you'll come out cold, green, and silky. That's right. At least Marjorie Taylor Greene knows what you're covered in. She knows the word gazpacho. That's, yeah. that's a lot, you know, just evaluating her IQ. So, Though if that word hadn't occurred to her, it would have been Gandolfo yeah, or, or, or Gabblehook. Yes, or Germany. Anyway, something with a G. Yeah, like god-awful. Yeah. Tony, we have multiple sketches today, not the normal three, but a bonus one for four. Maybe we should talk a little bit about Yeah, I don't those. know which one's the bonus one. They're all bonus segments. The first segment coming up is the third part of Bruno Calamari, Norwegian political operative. This is one of those episodes where Ryan didn't get back to us, so Bruno Calamari isn't in the episode. Yeah, Enough that's said. Right. But other people are, and Melody, his assistant, goes to jail. Uh, after that, we have another episode in which the titular character is not present, a man called <laughs> Bambi. So maybe this one is a lack of a man called Bambi. <laughs> The absence of a man called Bambi. I feel like we're somewhere around part six or seven of this saga, which yeah. has a lot to do with narration and people on trains and other things. There's narration, people are on trains, <laughs> Bambi and his smarter, cleverer, braver friend, Michael, the novelist slash bartender, are fleeing from mafia goons, Aiden and Largo. After that, if we had to call something a bonus segment, why not this interview slash commercial with yet another member of the right-wing establishment who continues to foist themselves upon us even when we said no more, Sarah Palin in Lil Patriot's Daycare. Sarah Palin has a new daycare, and the little kids um, get to learn firearms. Mm -hmm. They like to breathe exhaust, diesel, and gasoline, either one. She's ready to push both on the kids to make them patriots. So gas fumes, gunfire, patriotism. The nice thing about the daycare, by the way, Tony, is whatever window you look out, you can see Russia from there, as Sarah <laughs> famously said. That's right. She yeah. can see it. It's in Alaska, which, for all we know, is Russia. Is Russia at this yeah. point, yeah. And then finally, we return to Bingo Night at the Kushners. And this is the one that inspired Kevin's title because Marjorie Taylor Greene comes to Jared and Ivanka Kushners during Bingo Night, but she wasn't playing bingo. She's hiding from the gazpacho police. But she gets stuck in a mail slot somehow, and we're not sympathetic. And now it's time once again for Bruno Calamari, Norwegian political operative. 
Bruno Calamari, a 48-year-old recent graduate of Lower Heights Community College's program in political science and convenience store management, has launched a new career in managing political campaigns. To avoid arrest and detention by mall security officer second-class corps, Bruno persuaded this well-meaning incompetent to run for sheriff with him, Bruno, as his campaign manager. Bruno then deposited a campaign check from Coors, but went on to collect a payoff from the incumbent, Sheriff Spondy, by promising to run Coors' campaign poorly. Meanwhile, snake-like investigative reporter Angelina Van O'Reilly... Don't call me snake-like announcer. Sorry. Investigative reporter, don't call me snake-like Van O'Reilly... Your days are numbered, announcer. Ha! We live on different ontological planes, Angelina, so you can't touch me. As I was saying, snake-like investigative reporter Angelina Van O'Reilly tried to dig up dirt on Coors by rummaging illegally through HR files. She emerged horrified at what she has found about mall security officer second-class Coors. As is her habit, she bursts into Sheriff Spondy's office, unannounced. Hey, you can't just barge into Sheriff Spondy's office unannounced. Of course I can. Oh, well then, okay. Well, Angelina, you look like they were dragging the river for bodies and found you. What's the problem now? Bad news, Sheriff. I was just rummaging illegally through the HR files at the mall. You realize that I didn't just hear that, right? Yep, you heard that right. It's about Coors. No, I said I didn't hear that. Got it? What? Look, Sheriff, I'm trying to explain. I didn't hear you tell me that you were rummaging illegally through the HR files at the mall. Not for me, huh? Then you have more spies than I thought. Did they also tell you what I found? I don't know anything about any of this. I'm the sheriff. I'm not allowed to know about anything illegal. What's wrong with you, Angelina? I discovered something shocking, damn it. I knew that mall security officer second-class Coors wasn't too bright. But if his IQ were the temperature outside, we'd need to wear parkas. Coors isn't just a man of the local people. His empty, dusty little brain is powerful enough to win at the state level. We have to do something or you're sunk, Sheriff. <laughs> I'll be fine, Angelina. Coors's so-called campaign manager, Bruno Calamari, was just here. For only $20,000, he promised to run Coors's campaign into the ground. What? And you believed him? And why shouldn't I have? He had an honest, rubbery little face. And besides, I wasn't here when I handed him the cash, so I've got deniability. How can you possibly trust someone who's willing to sell out his own candidate? What choice do I have? I'm a woman, and Coors, as I've heard somewhere, is a deeply stupid man. Besides, I promised Calamari a bonus if I win by ten points. I have to get this. Really? Why? It's the easiest way to stop the damn ringing. Hello? 
This is the sheriff. No waivers without a favor. Rather than listen in on a private conversation, let's catch up now with Melody, professional shoplifter and Bruno Calamari's campaign assistant, as she makes a furtive call to the sheriff's office. You don't know me, Sheriff, but you can call me Melanie. No, uh, make that Melania. Since I'm good at following people and listening in on their conversations, I happen to know that your media shill, Angelina Van O'Reilly, illegally obtained mall HR information about a certain second-class candidate for sheriff, and that you paid Bruno Calamari $20,000 to throw the campaign. That's a lot of things you happen to know, Melanie slash Melania. Do you have any proof? Well, as of this second, I have your confession. That's kind of proofy, don't you think? What do you mean you have my confession? Anyone demanding proof rather than denying the crime is confessing to the crime. Duh. I expected a woman sheriff to be a little quicker on the uptake. Damn it. I suppose you also know that I pay Angelina from the sheriff's budget. Well, I do now, sheriff. Come on, stop with the implicit confessions already. You're destroying my faith in the integrity of elected officials. Plus, you're making this too easy for me. Easy victories are empty victories. Who are you talking to, sheriff? Put it on speaker. Oh, all right. I bet you just put me on speaker with that so-called investigative reporter. That snake-like investigative reporter to you, whoever you are. Oh, damn it. Never mind. Okay, you should both hear this. First, I want 5000 a week to stay quiet about Van O'Reilly's shilling for you on the Sheriff's Department budget. I'm sure your pals in the Commanding Heights Real Estate Association can cover that easily. Second... I'll need bi-weekly donations, starting tonight, into a private account that's ostensibly on behalf of the Coors campaign. I don't understand. What are you really after here, Melanie slash Melania? I'm a professional shoplifter, Sheriff. So I'm dedicated to electing Coors as the next sheriff, mainly to keep him out of the mall. I need a free hand there. So I want to put an end to his interference. Also, I'm trying to end slash profit from municipal corruption. Sheriff, do you have any idea what she's talking about? That's all the time we have now for Bruno Calamari, Norwegian political operative. Tune in again next time when we'll hear Melanie from her jail cell say... I'm just trying to profit from systemic corruption here in Lower Heights. Is that so hard to understand? And we hear Angelina Van O'Reilly say... Sheriff, if we make you look as stupid as a man, and Coors as smart as a woman, I think we'll see your poll numbers soar. And now it's time once again for A Man Called Bambi. Tonight, part six, The Open Manhole. The Man Called Bambi, who finds himself in Manhattan one October evening in 1948 in an ill-fitting trench coat with the name tag Bambi stitched over the pocket, is running from something or to something. Come to think of it, he's actually been doing both. Since Bambi now exists in two consciousnesses, 
as an active running self and a voiceover version roughed up by two underemployed mafia goons, Bambi is running, or at least moving, in two opposite directions. Protected thus far by a bartender slash novelist named Michael. That's novelist slash bartender from now on, announcer. Okay, fine. As if there hasn't been enough to keep track of in this bizarre story. But I suppose that's fair, since it's her novelistic skills, not her bartending skills, that have kept the mafia goons at bay. But even her skill at revising the narrative may not be enough to save Mr. Bambi now. As we'll recall from one of the other episodes involving the active Bambi and Michael, they'd hopped on board a slow-moving commuter train that was chasing them through the streets, only to discover that they were being chased in turn by a Mrs. Giuliani in a car being carried by the two mafia goons, Aiden and Largo. And the car was gaining on them. Mr. Bambi, those mafia goons and the old lady are gaining on us. Mr. Bambi, what? where did he go? As the train conductor, I see everything. Your Bambi friend just disappeared, Missy. Hey, don't get a run in your stockings. It's 1948, so I can still say whatever I want to women. Can I? No. Sorry. Anyway, what, what were we saying? Mr. Bambi, that is, my companion, vanished. But he left his trench coat behind. So that's not nothing, I guess. You want I should go through his pockets, see if he left a wad of cash or something? Give me that. And you said you see everything. Where did you see him go? Well, maybe it wasn't him, but after I saw the coat fall onto the deck, we train conductors call the floor the deck. No, you don't. Okay, fine. Have it your way. The coat fell onto the floor. Happy now? I'm nowhere near happy. Where did you see Mr. Bambi go? Well, I can't be sure it was him with his coat off. Who could tell? Anyway, after he dropped the trench coat, he became a shadowy figure who hopped off the train a block back. Which way did he go from there? He turned left, headed over to Broadway, and ducked into a theater. He was playing Bloomer Girl, I think. How could you possibly know all that? Can you see through buildings? The turning left part I actually saw, the rest of it's just speculation. I could be wrong about Bloomer Girl, though. That that was from the 1947 Broadway season, so it, it must have been the mad woman of Shio that he ducked into. Maybe. Like most things, it's pure guesswork. One thing that's a fact is that you're useless. I'm getting off here, and give me his trench coat. Watch your step. Oh, oh, never mind. I guess the train's not that much for momentum. Hey, you! Running lady with the trench coat! Stop! Yes, running lady. Please stop. We are very tired from carrying Mrs. Giuliani's car. Logo, we know her. She's the bartender from the spittoon who made no drinks, but just talked to herself and made us walk away with the force of her narration. Stay away from me, you two. 
And I'm not just a bartender, I'm a novelist slash bartender. Never mind all that. Where's the man called Bambi? I... I don't know. He just dropped his coat and ran. Disappeared. Now be on your way. I have a novel to write. Just hand over the trench coat, kid. What if I say no? Please, lady, just hand it over to Mrs. Giuliani. Lago and I are exhausted. You should try carrying an automobile full of Mrs. Giuliani for 30 blocks. See how you feel. I don't think so. Can't you show us even the slightest sympathy? What if I get cold? I'll need the trench coat, won't I? By the way, while we're wasting time chatting here and your friend Bambi is getting away, did you happen to find a code book in one of the pockets? The code book? Yes. No. No code book. I have the sense she's not being entirely truthful, Mrs. Giuliani. Just take it from her, Largo. Do I have to, Mrs. Giuliani? I'm so tired. I was carrying the heavy part of the car. The front with the engine. Can't Aiden do it? If either one of you makes one move, I'll drop the trench coat down this open manhole. What open manhole? You can't possibly see it from the front seat. She's right. I'm right here in front of the car, and even I can't see it. There's no open manhole. Oh, there isn't? Are you really willing to risk this trench coat and non-existent code book falling into the sewer and disappearing into the muck forever? Even if there is an open manhole, Aiden and Largo can go in after it. <laughs> Those big lugs would never fit. She's so right, Mrs. Giuliani. And I have been putting on weight, Mrs. Giuliani. Boys, you've been resting long enough. Just grab the trench coat already. That's all the time we have now for A Man Called Bambi. Tune in again next time when we'll hear Michael the novelist slash bartender say... Okay, so it's not an open manhole. Aiden, Logo, give me a hand with the manhole cover. Men in Charge, you know you're on the radio now, right? Howdy, patriots. Sarah Palin here with an opportunity aimed for these independent, patriotic, fed-up workhorses, all committed to making America great. Well, Kevin, Sarah's off to quite a start. <laughs> That's right, Tony. She didn't even give us a chance to introduce her. You got it, boys. I've readied myself for any anti-deplorableites who don't have the cojones to be in the arena, but live to see fighters fall. And in my case, jab that this has been is here, not there, with swamp dwellers pining for the next cocktail party invite to hobnob with the elites trying to control you. But alas, no loudmouths this night to have to teach rejection is protection, and there's a season and reason for everything. I'm trying to forget my decades as an English professor now. Could you just... Get to it? You betcha, Tony. I'm here to tell folks, America-loving folks, about my newest enterprise, Sarah Palin's Lil Patriot's Daycare. You're running a daycare? Boy, howdy I am. I want to offer you, the listener patriot, a place for kids from three months to five years old. And it's the white... Uh, <clears throat> 
right kind of place. I'm talking about special activities for our little ones. You mean like games? Better than that. In the mornings, we've got the Peter Rabbit Shooting Gallery. With real rabbits? Real guns? Yup. I have them aimed right through the breast pocket of Peter's little blue jacket. The kids have got to cook something for lunch. We eat, therefore we hunt. Wow, no need for vegetables then. So what about after lunch? Then it's craft time. Why, just yesterday we took the catalytic converter off my Ford Expedition and practiced rubbing the engines in a closed garage. I like to call these afternoon sessions fun with fossil fuels. I have heard you say that you love the smell of emissions. I sure used to. Hope to again soon. And most of the kids like it too, at least the ones that stay awake. So, with all these benefits here, parents, tell me the truth. Doesn't this sound like the right fit for your little ones? Aren't you tired of sending them off to a place that might question your kids' political beliefs? Do kids that age even have political beliefs? Oh, our little patriots do. (laughs) I was talking about it just the other night when I went out to dinner. Out to dinner? But you've tested positive. (laughs) Darn right, Kevin. I'm positive. Positive that my new daycare will give your kids the exposure they need (laughs) to support our America. None of this masking business, none of the quarantine business, and none of those vaccines. Just good, solid feelings about the old U.S. of A. That's the only protection we need. (laughs) Well, Sarah, you've certainly given us a lot to think about. You betcha, Tony. And remember, folks, Lil Patriots Daycare. It'll give all those real American kids a positive experience. (laughs) And now it's time once again for Bingo Night at the Kushners. Ivanka and Jared Kushner, out of the White House and therefore out of power and utterly friendless, have had to downsize radically to a ranch house in Treeless Acres, a thinly populated suburb outside Lower Heights. And now that Jared's father-in-law's accounting firm has abandoned his businesses, unwilling to take the rap for him, Jared and Ivanka's need for ready cash from vulnerable locals has intensified. But they have not given up. They weren't born talentless and wealthy for nothing. Jared and Ivanka have signed on with the local church's side hustle, Bingo Night. For a bigger piece of the action, they talked the church leadership into holding the bingo games regularly at their house. The evening's bingo game is about to begin, and Jared is in a tizzy because he can't find Ivanka anywhere. Ivanka, where are you? The bingo crowd will be here any moment. I dragged a stick along each of our white walls very carefully, and you're not standing invisibly in front of any of them. Jared, what are you doing with that stick? Put it down somewhere. Outside. It's probably not sterile. Where have you been, Ivanka? The local marks, um, that is, uh, our fellow parishioners, will be here any moment. At last, that must be the sheet cake. I hope these people like yellow frosting again. Wait, don't answer that, Jared. That could be Marjorie Taylor Greene again. I thought I saw her driving around the neighborhood looking very suspicious, probably looking for black neighbors to have arrested for making her feel uncomfortable. 
but how do we keep her out? Last time she drove away even our most bigoted clients, um, parishioners. Ivanka, Jared, it's me, Marjorie Taylor Green. I know you're in there. I can see two of your legs through the mail slot. And if I, I, I can just reach my arm through. Ah! There, gotcha. Now you have to let me in. Ivanka, do something. She's grabbed my ankle. You should have worn white like I do, Jared. Let go of me, Marjorie Taylor Greene. You have very thin ankles, Jared. I'm going to be hanging on till you let me in. Ivanka, why is there a woman crouched by your front door with her arm in the mail slot? Sorry, Mrs. Hambelter, it's Marjorie Taylor Green. <sighs> I guess I'm not surprised, but she's in the way and it's time for bingo. We're doing our best to dislodge her, but she won't let go of Jared's ankle. Well, why don't you just open the door so we all can maybe just step over her? I suppose we'll have to. Hi! Why? Aha! I'm free! But Ivanka, look at the bruise she left. Perhaps later, Jared. Come in, everyone. Now, how am I supposed to get loose from your damned mail slot? All Jared's yanking and tugging pulled my arm in right up to my shoulder. It's like... You're going to tell us it's like the hollow. You don't know what I'm going to say, Jared. You were going to say it's like the Holocaust. No, I was not. Uh, not necessarily. Now, could you get me unstuck from your damn mail slot? This is probably on the inner tube already. Don't you mean you too, Marjorie Taylor Green? Well, sure, I guess. That and the internet. But somebody, help me out of this mail slot. I need to hide. What are you going on about now, Marjorie Taylor Green? We're trying to play bingo here. Cash flow is tight. My father can't stiff all his lawyers. They're coming for me. Who's coming for you, Marjorie Taylor Green? The, the gazpacho police. What? No, we're not serving gazpacho. This is a sheet cake crowd, as usual. No, it's the gazpacho. Like those German secret police dressed in black, just like our ICE agents. What is she talking about, Ivanka? If she wants to grease up her arm so that she could pull herself out of your mail slot, I think split pea might work better than gazpacho. That's all the time we have now for Bingo Nighting for Christmas. Tune in again next time when we hear Marjorie Taylor Greene say... It's been six hours. I've lost all feeling in my arm. And I haven't even been able to get near the sheet cake. Maybe y'all should call the gazpacho police after all. And we hear Ivanka say... Will somebody show me how to turn on the stove?
Kevin, it's time for you to thank our cats. And they are legion. We'd like to thank Rennie Yarrow, Nisha Schramm, Ryan Weldon, Maureen Hager, Ann Porter, Scott Herrick, Nancy Roth, Kevin Decker, Davis Hill, Tony Flynn. We'd also like to thank our writers, Ann Porter and Tony Flynn, and The Bad Plus for our theme song, Seven Minute Mind. And we're going to go on with the gratitude. We'd also like to thank the many who, when they come by, they rattle their keys at us. Carrie Boyce, Vern Windham, Nisha Schramm, Nancy Roth, Savannah Esty, and the man whose socks have matched since 2021, Brian Lindsay. 